0: visit roberthalf.com today
1: we stepped on the court together that first game our sophomore year everything else is history we all knew you can only go to college one time and we were enjoying it so much and we were enjoying each other so much so let's let's come back let's have the time of our life one more year and that's what we did i'm always gonna put us number one Mm. i always tell everybody it may be teams with better players than us but i don't know if it's a better team to ever play in college Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and
2: Branks McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Covered. So make sure you subscribe and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away. We have another special episode for you. We've been so focused on football, but guess what? We can't ignore March Madness Although my Seminoles are now out, it has still been a fascinating tournament. This conversation allows us to take a trip down memory lane with a guy who had multiple shining moments. Corey Brewer. Enjoy. You guys know what time it is. Let's get right to our guest. Like I said... During the intro, an unbelievable guest joined us here, all things covered, Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden, currently part of the New Orleans Pelican staff, spent 13 seasons in the NBA, won a title in 2011 with the Dallas Mavericks, a two-time national champion in college, including the 2007 Most Outstanding Player of the Final Four. Unfortunately, he won those championships with a team, with a school, with a university I don't like. Outside of that, he's an ideal individual, a high character guy. He just decides to go to the wrong university, <laughs> which is the University of Florida. But other than that, unbelievable guy, Corey Brewer, joined us here. All things covered. Corey,
1: how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. You know, I don't know if I went to the wrong school. You might have went to the wrong school. Man. <laughs> and you know, you know how we what we say. And I'm pretty sure you guys
2: say say it also, man. There's only one school in the state of Florida. and For us, we believe that school is in Tallahassee. And I guess it's safe to say you guys will say that one school is in Gainesville. But we don't like you. You don't like us. The feeling is definitely mutual.
1: Oh, for sure. You're either a gator or you gator bait. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you slide today. <laughs> I no,
2: no doubt. Thank you for joining us here, man. And as you guys that are currently watching us on YouTube, you see Corey smiling from ear to ear. There are so many photos or videos of you smiling on the court and some pros, you know, tend to keep that smile uh, to themselves or hide that smile, but you seem to embrace it. Where what, does what that joy and passion come from during game time with
1: you? Um, just knowing, man, I get to play basketball for a living. So I was always happy anytime I'm on the court or anytime I was, anytime I still am, when I'm out here coaching or doing anything, you know, just to have the opportunity to be in the NBA. That's, you, it makes you smile. I don't care what nobody said. You can play the tough guy role all you want, but hey, man, I'm a country boy from Portland, Tennessee and I, I played 13 seasons in the NBA. So I'm a happy to yeah.
2: No doubt. And speaking of your, speaking of your Tennessee ties in 2004, you were Mr. Basketball in the state of Tennessee, a McDonald's All-American and a five-star recruit. You were also the number four ranked small forward in your class. We're going to start off by testing your memory a little bit. Do you remember who was ahead of you? You were ranked number four. What three players were ranked ahead of you? Um,
1: I'd say Rudy Gay. Yep, That's one Malik Harrison. N- wrong. It wasn't Malik. Oh, well, Josh Smith. That's okay. And Josh Smith was number one. Yeah, so it's Josh Smith and really Gay for sure. I thought it was yeah. going to be Harrison. I don't know who's the third one. The third one played in in the NBA, and we also had him on
2: our show earlier during the football season. He he won a championship. He he has the same last name as Josh. Oh, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith. He was
1: ranked number three. Oh, I thought J.R. was a two guard. Okay. Hey. Yeah, yeah, they
2: had him ranked. Uh, uh, small forward. Josh, Josh Smith was number one. Rudy Gay, number two. Jr. Smith for number three. Okay. Yeah, That's they they had him listed. Right they had him, yeah, they had him listed as a, as a as a small forward. Of course, you know, throughout his professional career, mostly a shooting guard, but coming out of high school, small forward. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You just learned something here on All Things Covered. Going back to your roots I'm right now. learned something
1: for sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, upon you graduating from high school, you decided to go to University of Florida, right? That 04 class was a legendary class. And I think the legend started to really cr- group. It, it, it was born throughout your time there in Gainesville because you signed on with Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, Tory and Green. Uh, which was four out of the five in the starting lineup for both national championships. Uh, but you were ranked 20th in the nation. Horford was ranked 42nd. Noah was 70, 73rd and Green was 105 nationally. But when you talk about the legend that you guys were able to create, it was because you guys won championships together. Uh, and, and when you look at that class that you signed, that signed with you, being able to win Back to back championships. Uh, how did you guys go from a solid recruiting class to arguably one of the best classes to ever come through Gainesville?
1: Uh, man, I think it's all about when we got there. We just we instantly had a bond, and we weren't only just friends, like or just teammates. We were like best friends. So for us, when um we first got there, we we're all roommates. Me, Al, Torian, and Joaquin, We were all roommates. So instantly, we all like became friends, and then it just Went from there to on the court. When we got on the court, everything just started to click. Even as we were freshmen, we played pickup against the older guys, and we were winning because, you know, we just knew how to play together. So by the time my sophomore year came around, um, Matt Walsh, David Lee, and Anthony Robson all went to the NBA. So it was our chance to shine. Mm-hmm. We couldn't wait. You know, it was like, oh, that's what we've been waiting on. We did a whole year, you know doing the right things as freshmen. You know, I started and I all started, but Joaquin barely played and Torian was a backup. So now we got our group together. It's our time to prove ourselves. And I think that's where it all started right there. We stepped on the court together that first game our sophomore year. Everything else is history. So we went 17 straight. And then, you know, we, we got our confidence, I guess you can say.
2: <laughs> yeah. At what point during that 2006 season, Did you guys realize, like, yo, we can win this? We can win it all. We can win the entire thing.
1: I don't think I'm not gonna say we knew we could win it all at this time, but um, we went to the coaches versus cancer. We were in New York City. Mm -hmm. We beat um Syracuse and Wake Forest, and it was one of those things, like, hey man, we we're pretty good. Like, like we got we got had ourselves together. We went back. We were talking. We got back to um got back to campus. We were all like, we got a chance to do something special. We just got to keep it up. We just got to keep getting better. And, you know, after that, I think uh, midway through the SEC schedule that year, we felt like, hey man, nobody can really beat us if we play our best game. So, yeah. and I think that's when we took off and ran with it.
2: So you had a chance to go pro after the first title in 2006, but everyone decided to return, not just yourself, the entire class, uh, the guys that I mentioned decided to return. And and then a year later, of course, you guys were, were able to win another championship. Talk about, how special that was, being able to get back to the title, get back to the Final Four and win it all, all over again.
1: Uh, it was special just because um everybody was saying we we should have went. You know, everybody was saying, you go go to the NBA. You got a chance to go to the NBA. Why would you come back to school? But for us, we all knew you can only go to college one time. Like, you mm-hmm. only get that one that experience one time. And we were enjoying it so much, and we were enjoying each other so much. And just being the way we were, um, being so close, uh, um, we had to come back. It was one of those things where you can go to the NBA, but the NBA is still going to be there. We can only do this one time. So let's, let's come back and let's have the time of our life one more year. And that's what we did. When we got back to the final four, you know, it was all about winning it all that whole year anyways. And just being able to win it all, it was, it meant everything. It was everything at the time.
2: And I think, you know, it's safe to say, you know, making that decision to return, it, it worked out in, in, in all y'all favor. You know what I mean? Because for you, you ended up becoming a for sure lottery pick. You know, everybody else got drafted extremely high, except uh Green, who was in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. And you were able to win another championship. You know, winning one championship is tough. I don't care on what level, but going back and winning it again. Not too many people say they can go back to back like Drake says. You know what I'm saying? So that definitely was impressive. So question for you, and I know, unfortunately, You know, the fans in Gainesville would love to hear your answer, unfortunately. Which championship team was better?
1: 06 or 07? Oh man, (laughs) that's a tough, tough question just because we basically were the same team. (laughs) You had a few, you had a few new pieces with the 07. uh, The the starting lineup was the same for both championships, right? If I'm not mistaken, right? Our starting lineup and our, our two guys on the bench basically were the same. Basically were the same. Yeah. Yes. So we just added um instead of Adrian Moss our older our big older guy um mm-hmm. the first time we won it, we added um Maury Space a freshman who ended up being a, a lottery pick also so yeah yeah like, it's, <laughs> it's tough to say if you look at both those teams um which yeah. which team had the, the the
2: toughest path to get to a championship between oh six and oh seven
1: um I'd probably say um the first time we won it was a tougher path. Yep. Just because we had to play a Villanova team that was loaded. And they had just beat us the year before. And um Georgetown played us really well with Jeff Green and um, Roy Hibbert. Mm-hmm. So first time, the path was probably tougher. The second time, it was tough. But after winning the first time, we just, we knew we had to do win games. And mm-hmm. nothing really could rattle us. Because, you know, you could get up on us. But we knew we were always going to be in every game. And we were going to end up winning. We're currently right now. You
2: know, involved in March Madness, Uh the Final Four is going to be here sooner than later. And when you look at some of the more iconic championship teams of the last century, where would you rank your teams when you look at 06, 07? If you had to pick one of those teams and compare them to some of the more prolific championship teams we've seen over the last few years, to say the least, where would you put the Florida Gators?
1: I'm always going to put those number one. Mm. I always tell everybody I'm... It may be teams with better players than us, but I don't know if it's a better team to ever play in college. And I'll put our team up against anybody. You can go no matter who they had, who they got. Like, we had everything. We had a point guard who knew how to run the show. We had a two guard who didn't miss. We had me, I was a versatile wing. We had two of the best bigs to ever play in college, in my opinion. And, and defensively, we played D, and we had O. So we had everything. So I'm, I'm going to say I'm taking us no matter what.
2: I mean, I, I, you have to, you have to be biased, right? You're a competitor. You guys were able to win two championships. So that speak volume on the talent and, and the success you guys w- were able to create. Uh, but, you know, there are going to be a lot of, naysayers that are watching us and listening to us. You know, you got the 2001 Duke Blue Devil team with Shane Batty, Jay Will. Uh, those guys were phenomenal. Well coached. You got 05 UNC, North Carolina, Tar Heels, Tar Heels with Felton and McCants and Sean May, 2012 Kentucky with Anthony Davis. So this is quality barbershop talk, to say the oh, least, where you cool. talk about debating. And I think it's only right. It's March Madness. And you got a valid point, though, bro. I mean, not too many people can say they went back to back with basically like you said, the same team. So it's it's hard for me to say as a basketball fan, I have to throw my hate, you know, I'm not throwing my hate to the side ever with the Gators, but you got a valid point, my friend.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. We I always say that because everybody always brings up they had this guy, they had that guy. I'm like, but our team, the way we played team ball. You didn't know who was gonna be on that night there it's 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 kind of hard to scout a team that we just whoever however you matched up whoever was the weakest link we was going at the weakest link all night, so unless you have five guys that was playing d that's the only way you can have a chance against us and there ain't too many teams that have five guys playing d for them.
2: and how did you guys learn to sacrifice certain things with those championship teams because all you guys had and made a name for yourself by the time you won in in o six and then deciding to. Not go pro when you could have all went pro and got drafted coming back and learning to compromise and say the least because individually said you guys could dominate. So how did you learn to sacrifice certain things just to be able to get back to that championship level again?
1: Um, we all knew if we were, if we won, we would all get to where we wanted to get to, which was the NBA. And I don't think some, I think sometimes kids don't understand. Like if you're on a winning team, it means a lot. It speaks volumes. So you can average 20, but if you're losing every night, why not average 15 and win every night? I think, um, winning brings, gives you more value. And I think that's what we, the way we always felt. Like the more we won, the more value we were going to have. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we knew to win basketball games, how can you match up with us every night? Cause any of us can, we all can score. We all can do, do different things. So every night somebody was going to have a mismatch. So that guy was going to get the points. Yeah. <laughs> And we all were, we were like really best friends. We were all roommates. We lived together for three years. So why wouldn't I want my brother to, to go out there and play his best game? If I had to get six this night, oh, that's cool. i get six, but we won. Joe mm-hmm. had 30. Well, the next night, if Al gets 25, I had 10, we still won. And they felt the same way. Like, if I had 25 and they had four, nobody's mad because we won. Yeah.
2: And, and, and talking about the togetherness that you guys were able to display, clearly that was – in place. Why is it so hard right now to see teams go back to back in college basketball? I mean, think about this, Corey. The last team to, to do that was your it was your team, the O seven team. I mean, now you don't usually see teams go back to back in college basketball. Why is it so hard and do you think we will see a
1: back to back champion anytime soon? I think now just because um so many one and done guys, every guy's just coming to college for a pit stop and going right to the NBA. Mm-hmm. so you know teams are always different each year there's different teams whoever gets the best recruits you know they might have one year with them and then two guys go to the league so it's never really chemistry for a team so I feel mm-hmm. like each year it's always going to be a different team unless this yeah. one time you know make it lucky like we did we had four guys who really cared for each other and who did the right things to win championships you know that could happen never know yeah,
2: it's true. You don't even see teams go back-to-back back in in Final Four appearances, better yet, won a championship. So a good point there because most players are one and done. You don't see the unity that you guys had collectively to all come back and try to do it all over again. So that's a, a sound point you made when it comes to the the chemistry and so many players just venturing off to the NBA. Is there a sense of nostalgia you go through during this time of the year when March Madness is in, is in play? We're seeing so many outstanding college basketball uh, games, teams trying to get to the final four. Is there a sense of nostalgia you go through?
1: Oh, for sure, man. Every time I watch a game, I'm like, man, that's, that's a good old day. It's just being out there, must win. Like, there's no series. It's just one game. Anybody can beat anybody because if somebody has their best game, they can knock you off, so you got to play your best game every game. Um That's why it's that's a great thing about college basketball, especially the NCAA tournament. Anything can happen.
2: Two-part question for you. Something I would never get an opportunity to do is cutting down the net when you win a championship. What is that feeling like, and what is the – most memorable feeling you have, even to this day, when you watch March Madness, when you watch the Final Four, what is the one thing that always sticks out to you, even when you watch the highlights or watch the game or watch when the entire season is over and done with? What What is the most
1: memorable thing you take away from college basketball? To be honest, I always think about the first time we won it. Um, we cut the nest down once you mm-hmm. played, it and then they play one shining moment. Hear oh, yeah. one shining moment. Yeah, it's, that's. I was like, we made it. Like the first time we won it, like you look. So, so Corey, you actually hear play. that in the arena. You hear one shining moment in the arena when you cut down a net. Yeah, they play. I, it. Thought, so I we, thought it was just on TV. It, nah, they play it in the arena, and like, wow, the first time was crazy. The second time, I ain't gonna lie, it was it was some tears wanted to come out just because it's that. that They play it and we're sitting there and it's like the last time we're gonna be here together. And we Mm. just won and they play one shiny moment. It was like, man, this is like it's unbelievable. Like I always think about that. Like anytime I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, when you win that championship, you hear that one shining moment It hit different. It hit hit different different. it hit different
2: for everybody. Because for me,
1: you know, I never played college
2: basketball. I only played high school basketball. But when I watched the final four, when I watched the championship game, that's the one thing I'm waiting for. I didn't I did not know. They actually play that in the arena, and it makes it even more memorable just hearing that. Because I know for you guys, you know, being basketball fans, playing the game, you know, playing uh college basketball and getting to that level, when you hear that and something that you've probably been watching your entire life, oh, man, I know that's a wonderful feeling.
1: Oh, uh, for sure. Because, like, think about when you're a kid, you're growing up, you watch the NCAA tournament, and they play one Shining Moment. It's, like, the best thing in the world, so – for me, when to actually like be on one shining moment to look up there and see myself diving for a loose ball, like I was like, hey man, this is what it's all about. Yeah,
2: yeah, that, 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 that's something that college basketball, uh, they have over college football. When that one shining moment hit, it, it touches your soul
1: from top so, to bottom. <laughs> everything from the tournament, all the plays made. So yeah, that one shining moment, that's, that's, that's a great song. <laughs> did you, did you get a chance
2: to, to keep the part of the net you cut? Both years? Yeah. Got so you still have it?
1: Yeah. They're at my mom's house in the, in the little trophy room in the back.
2: Okay. Okay. That's, that's what's up. That's, that's a nice piece of memorabilia to have. I can tell you that much.
1: Yeah. And I got a gymnast tie. The first oh. time. Yeah. The first time we won the final four, I actually got two of his ties. He gave me one. He gave me his tie. Did he sign it for you? Nah, he just gave me his tie. Like I was. I couldn't believe it. It's like Yo, we got we it? gotta try Hey Corey, you gotta get Jim Nass to sign that for you. I'm pretty sure he'll sign it for you. Uh, for sure I gotta get him to sign it, but Jim Nass is great. I always say if Jim Nass is doing one of your games, uh it's you know, a, big you're, game. you're a big game. You're playing a big game. Hey, no doubt, no doubt. I know for me growing up watching
2: college football, anytime I heard Keith Jackson's voice, I uh, knew it was a big game. It's, it's a, a big, big deal. Game. Yeah, Jim Nats has that same uh, effect. You know, when you hear Jim Jim Nats, it's a big deal. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. speaking of your championship days with the Gators, one of your former collegiate teammates, Joe Kim Noah announced his retirement less than a month ago. It was just announced that Al Horford, also your former collegiate teammate, won't suit up again for the rest of the season, uh, with the Thunder. You're getting, you're getting into coaching now. If you guys are watching us on YouTube and you should be watching us on YouTube, uh, you see Coy has on a Pelicans t-shirt. How do you reconcile the fact that the famous trio you, you guys had, They are now.
1: You all are now entering your second lives of your career. Uh, It's crazy. Time flies, man. Time flies, but um, it's been a great ride, and we're all still close. Like I knew Joe was gonna—he was gonna be done way a long time before he just announced it. Al still can play, but you know he's in a rebuilding situation um, over there in Oklahoma. So you know he's always gonna be a uh, the ultimate pro. He's a real professional. So I'm happy that they're. Let them doing the things they're doing over there. You know, he can stay healthy, and hopefully next year he goes to a situation a team can really use him. But hey, we're getting older, man. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way life works. We all got kids now, so it is what it is. Do you guys ever uh,
2: link up in the off season when everybody is free to some degree to kind of chill out together, or not really?
1: Um, we we have, but we're all over the place, so yeah, I mean, it's never. We hadn't have four of us together. in uh, um, um, three of us sometimes, but you know, I'm pretty sure soon now that we're all getting to the end, we're it's gonna be a lot more on vacations together. I guess when it, when it's COVID's over. Hey, Corey, I guess you got a one up on those guys because of course y'all all won
2: collegiate championships together, but you got that main championship. You ever bring you ever throw that on the
1: table when you guys are together having that one up with that uh, NBA championship? Nah, man, I, I, I don't throw it up there. I talking, <laughs> I talking no trash. I, I don't need wait a, to a, a minute. Up there. Do you talk more trash than Joe Kim, Noah? Oh, uh, hey, we we both talk a lot of trash. So. <laughs> <laughs> on our team, Joe Kim just, he's the hardest on the team for sure. But you know, I, just, uh-huh. I keep, I keep us going, you know, keep us upbeat. And yeah. Then, and then Al's the rock. Al's always going to do the right things, steady. And then mm-hmm. Tori, was the guy. He was all over the place. <laughs> so yeah. we, we, everybody had different personalities.
2: No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Going back to your your Gainesville days, not only did the basketball team have it going on in the mid-2000s, to say the least, but also the football team, unfortunately.
1: What was it like catching the early days of Tebow mania? Uh, it was great. You know, I was um, he was there for two years because he came early because um, he graduated high school early. So yep. seeing a lot of Tebow. Um it was amazing. Um, just um, we're winning, they're winning. Campus is crazy. The whole year, our campus was crazy. Which was the, the great thing about being a Florida Gator at that time. And we're the only school ever in the history to win it in football and basketball the same year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that was a big statement for like what we were doing when we were on that campus.
2: Yeah. A point of your time ending in Gainesville, you get drafted to the Minnesota Timberwolves, number seven pick lottery. That's big. That's big time going in the lottery. Just going anywhere in the NBA draft is big time, but you were a uh, top 10. Uh, you go from winning two titles in a row to a team in the Timberwolves that had just traded the big ticket in Kevin Garnett for a bunch of young pieces. How would you evaluate your transition into the NBA, especially coming from a winning
1: culture there in Gainesville? It was tough. <laughs> oh my God. And it was cold, right? Oh man, so I went from the sun to the cold and I got drafted. When I got drafted, KG was still on the team. Yeah. So, so you probably, thought you were pretty good. You thought you were in a good situation. They couldn't use any of my draft interviews because all I talked about, I can't wait to play with KG. Uh-huh. And two weeks later, they trade KG for a bunch of young guys. So we're basically rebuilding. Uh, that was hard. That was yeah. hard. I went from going in every night. Knowing I'm going to win to going in every night just hoping we have any kind of (laughs) chance. Best case scenario, Um, you guys were hoping. I never lost that much in my life. Yeah. It was cold. I wasn't playing my best basketball because it was a new system. We played Mm -hmm. on, we slowed it down and threw it in the post because we had just signed out, Jefferson to a big contract. Mm. So I was, I was playing, I wasn't playing the game I'm used to playing. Yeah. That was a, that was a hard year. So I can um, imagine.
0: Especially I'm happy, I made, I'm you happy I made
1: it through, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I'm happy I made it 13. <laughs> I'm happy I made it years, because that, that was a rough year. And then the next year, I played like eight games and turned my ACL. So my yeah. first two years were horrible.
2: <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine, especially, you know, just making that transition. Being a part of a rebuild is never a good thing, you know what I mean, when you talk about sports. So I can tell you this much, you know, brighter days, were ahead and they came You know, a couple of years into into your career. uh You go from not making the playoffs to linking up with the Dallas Mavericks and winning a title in your very first postseason appearance. What was the mindset going into the finals against LeBron James, D-Wade, Chris Bosh? Everybody is f- jumping on the heat bandwagon at that time, and you guys were able to do the unthinkable. What was the mindset going into that finals against the Heat?
1: That um, that we were being disrespected, you mm. know. Nobody even talked about us. Yeah, um, you're right. It was all about the Heels. <laughs> so for us, it was it was like, all right, they're disrespecting us, and you didn't realize we had a lot of <laughs> great players on that team. You know, we had them: um, Sean Marion, Dirk Nowinski, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, Jay Terry, man, Deshaun Stevenson, and Brandon Haywood. We had Tyson Chandler, the big anchor back there. So we had a good team, so we felt disrespected, and I think that's that's what we took in the finals. If you're gonna disrespect us, we're gonna show you we're not to be disrespected.
2: Yeah, and, and talking about the disrespect, there, there's an infamous clip of LeBron James and D. mocking Dirk uh for being sick. I know you remember it, remember that. Uh do you remember Dirk taking that personally? Oh, for sure, he took it personally. Yeah, what what did he what did he Did he say
1: anything? Did he do anything when he found out when he saw that clip? He just shook his head. It was like, okay. Was like, you know, when, you, when somebody shakes their head like, I got something for you? Yeah. It was that one. And he had a lot for him. <laughs> and did you guys feel some type of way as well?
2: Because, you know, Dirk was was the leader. You know what I mean? He was a, a prime top-tier player at that time. And just seeing, you know, LeBron James and D-Wade mocking, you know, him for being sick, did you guys take that personally as well?
1: Oh, for sure. Everybody did. You know, we seen it. Everybody seen it. and. No, they're making fun of our. They're making fun of the big guy. You can't make fun of the big guy because you make fun of the big guy. You make fun of everybody, and I guess that's kind of the way we went out there and played because we played. We played some great basketball that series. Hey, Corey, were you a part of the team? Were
2: you there with the team after you guys won? Because I I was living in South Florida at that time. After you guys won that championship that Sunday, you guys went to Club Live. With the NBA trophy there in the club celebrating popping bottles. If I'm not mistaken, I think Mark Cuban was there as well. Were you there? Oh, for sure. (laughs) We were all there. (laughs) Hey, was that, was that, was that intentionally done? Was that something that, you know, you you guys were still in Miami want to have some fun or you felt like, you know what? Let's go party at the biggest club in Miami and bring the championship to kind of. Twist that knife a little bit into all the heat fans that would be there. Was that intentionally done?
1: I want to say it was intentionally done, but after we won it, um, Cube's great. So he, he wanted to do it big. So we did it big <laughs> and that's what it's all about. So did Mark Cuban pay for the tables, or you guys had to?
2: How, how did that situation go? You, you, are y'all just just needed to show up, and Cuban take care of the
1: rest? We just showed up. We just won the championship. We just showed up. <laughs> Man, <laughs> hey, up I blast. wonder what
2: that I wonder what that bottle service was like. What the price tag was on that bottle service? Because I remember you guys had a lot of bottles. Uh, I, that price was way up there for sure. <laughs> you you remember the price tag when it was over and said over and done with? I barely remember that night. hey that's how it's supposed to be when you win that when you win that 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 chip (laughs) whatever happens happens right great night no question and talking about a night let me test your memory again i'm gonna throw a date out to you let me see if you remember this date april april the 11th 2014
1: what happened on that date oh yeah oh great night that was that was a really good night um i couldn't miss that night okay i had had 51 no, in minnesota uh huh. Yep, that was a fun night too.
2: <laughs> man, walk us through the, the the mindset of a pro when the rim is the size of the ocean. I mean, you drop fifty one. I mean, there are a lot of people can't drop fifty one playing against a bunch of middle schoolers and you an adult. That's a tough task. But walk us through the minds, mindset for you. And at what moment did you realize, man, they can't stop me? Everything I throw up is following as far as it's going through the room
1: yeah um, going into that night when i had 51 um when i got to the game um kevin love wasn't playing and then kevin martin he ended up not being able to play so mm-hmm. i said oh it's gonna be a lot of shots out there <laughs> I said, oh i said i'm about to go get 30 or 40 tonight they oh you it. said that before the game when when oh. you found out they weren't playing yeah i was just you know i was joking but i wasn't joking I, yeah there's a lot of shots out there i'm about to go get them up so i seen my first three or four go in and I was like, oh, this is going to be a good night. And then um my guy Ricky Rubio and J.J. Barrett, they just kept feeding me. They kept saying, oh, go. Keep going, bro. Keep going. Yeah. The thing I know, I looked up at I had like 26, 27 at the half. I said, ooh. Gonna a, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a good night now. And then the second half, they just kept playing me the same way. And I just feel like I couldn't miss. Like you said, it's like an ocean out there. I was like, anything I threw up was going in. It was going in. It was going to fall. I can tell you this much.
2: It wasn't just the offensive performance. You know, you've always been a high-energy guy on the defensive end. I think you had like six steals as well. You know, you had a complete ball game. Your previous high before that matchup was 29, and you were able to drop a 50-burger, another outstanding game in your professional career, a game that I still remember to this day. You know, I I wasn't a Rockets fan, but I hated the Clippers because I'm an L.A. fan. I'm a Laker fan. You know what I mean? I'm a a real L.A. fan. There's only one basketball team in L.A., and that's the Lakers, if you're asking me. The Game 6, Game 6, 2015 Western Conference Semifinals. You guys, unbelievable comeback. Dramatic comeback, to say the least. And you guys were able to do that with your star player, James Harden, basically on the bench. Uh, Talk us through that moment, being able to come from a 3 one deficit, to ultimately kick the Clippers out of the playoffs. Talk about that game six.
1: Oh, man, that's some instant classic right there. Yeah,
2: yes, it is. That's a game, Corey, a lot of people don't talk about as being one of the more iconic games in playoff history because you guys were down 3-1. No one gave you a shot. The Clippers were loaded. I mean, they could have just sealed the deal in game six. You guys came from behind with your best player basically watching.
1: Oh, yeah, it was um, it was one of those games. Um, I just remember being down 20, and in my mind, I was like, no, we're down yeah, you 20. you guys were down. I forgot you guys were down 20. Got to make something happen. Got to make yeah. something happen. And so I just like, I'm just going to be aggressive. I was like, hey, if I'm going to go out, if we're going to go out, I'm going to go out shooting. And I just remember I got an N1 layup, and from then on, next thing I remember, I hit a three to put us up by one, and the rest was history. And
2: think about this for listeners, for the listeners and viewers uh that's checking in to us, all things covered, Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden. We got Corey Brewer on show on the show with us. The Rockets outscored the Clippers 40 to 15 in the fourth quarter alone. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Just dominated the fourth quarter. You guys were down 20 at one point. Corey, you had a great game. Nineteen and ten. Nineteen and ten plus thirty-two when you was on the court. I mean, you you were one of the catalysts that led the comeback to say the least. You know what I mean? Your face should forever be good in Houston now. You should go out and get free steaks anytime you walk through Houston because you're one of the catalysts that led the comeback, led also. Jason Terry was on that team. Trevor Reza, Josh Smith, Dwight Howard. He had a monster game on the boards as well. I mean, that, that, that game was something that it seemed like you guys just snatched the game from the Clippers mentally and physically in game seven. When you guys did what you get what you did in game 6, it was a wrap. I knew
1: you guys were going to win in game 7. Oh, for sure. Um we knew it too. Once you win a game like that, you know, at their place, they're up 20 and we come back and win. Oh, uh, game 7, uh we for sure knew we were going to win that game. And we came out and we just we just took it from.
2: Yeah, and speaking of the excitement, you guys were able to do that without James Harden being a key uh point to your success. What was going on with James Harden at that time in that ball game because
1: he didn't look like he was himself. Um, this just one of those games. He just was playing his best basketball. And, yep. you know, when your star player's not having one of his best games, that's when the guys like us got to step up and help him out. And that's what we did because we knew we we came out. We did what we had to do. We get to win. We knew game seven James Harden was going to be James Harden. I think he came out and had a crazy game. That's why we won. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And then, of course, you know, later on, it was short-lived, but you was able to reunite with your college coach, Billy D. And OKC, you only played 22 games there with the Thunder, but what was that like for you being able to reunite with Billy, Billy Donovan?
1: Um, it was great just to see him in, um, the NBA, NBA atmosphere. Um, just to see, see how he's, things come full circle, you know, going from college. Now we're in the NBA. He's coaching in the NBA just to play for him again. Uh, it was amazing. I played pretty well too. I think mean, I have a double figures. I was starting. Yeah. We just didn't do what we needed to do in the playoffs. Utah played, they played great. Ricky Rubio had a really good series and Diamond Mitchell, but, um, you know, it was amazing just to be with coach again, you know, it was 22 games, but, um, it was a great experience.
2: Yeah. And you're, you're coaching right now with the Pelicans, but just a few months ago to say the least, you know, you were still in the NBA, uh, your final game in the NBA occurred in the bubble. Uh, what was that experience like? You played five games in the bubble, but what was that like for you?
1: Um, it was unique, um. You know with everything going on in the world, just for us to be able to play basketball again, it was great, but the bubble is different, it's different, you know yeah. you miss your family, but um you know basketball is basketball just had an opportunity to go do something that's never been done. It's been in that situation to see it firsthand. I'm happy I got the experience
2: yeah and, and and I know you're still in pretty good shape to say the least. If a playoff team were to call you right now. And they said, we want to bring you in and pick up James Harden for 94 feet. Would you do it?
1: Oh, for sure. I can do that right now. I can do that for 48 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> hey, hey, and you know, mentioning the 94 feet, you remember that outstanding
2: performance in Philly? Oh, for sure. In, in the battle between you and James Harden, the unique thing about that was you guys used to be teammates. So he knows all your tricks. I'm pretty sure you know his tricks as well, but I never seen anybody and I think James Harden is. An outstanding prolific score, but I never see any, seen anybody annoy James Harden like you did when you were in a Sixers uniform. Was that something that you came into the game trying to do? Like when you got an opportunity to guard him, you're going to pick him up, uh, from baseline to baseline.
1: Oh, uh, every time I play against James, I pick him up full. I think, um, we beat him when I was in the, with the Lakers, mm-hmm. I picked him up full. We were somewhere else. I was on another team. I'm always going, Hey, you might score a 40. It's going to be the hardest 40 of your life. If I'm guarding you, put it that way, because I'm picking you up full court all night long. So you're to hey. have to work for everything. Hey, and- you know,
2: hey, Corey, that's what I used to do when I used to be playing pickup basketball, especially when I was in college. That was my, another opportunity for me to get in, uh, get some conditioning in. So I would do the same thing. If they score, I'm in your face as soon as the ball is out, out, out of bounds. I'm oh. going to guard you the entire time because that was an opportunity for me to get conditioned, but you don't see. NBA players doing that like you used to do that. You you was a, a frequent defender, baseline to
1: baseline. Yeah, I felt like if, if I was guarding a guy, I was gonna make it tough on him because by the fourth quarter, all those shots they was making early, they they were gonna be short because I was gonna wear them down. And, and what was the feeling like there? Because I remember that game. And for you guys that
2: don't know exactly what we're talking about, go back and watch that matchup. But I think didn't they they eject
1: eject James Harden that foul? No, nah, he didn't get ejected. He didn't
2: get ejected, but they called a foul. You Basically, you were you started the little hand fighting. They didn't see you, but they saw him because I saw you went – you you were emotional. The, the crowd went crazy. Everybody went crazy. They hit James uh, Hart with a ticky-tack foul, but initially you kind of got that going. Uh, what was that feeling like for you because the crowd was definitely behind you. You had a dunk on a fast break and everything. You hung on the rim. I mean, what was going through your your mind and your body at that time, seeing that you started to
1: kind of rattle one of the best scorers in the game? I was having a blast. And yeah. not to mention, I was on a 10-day. So it was yes. 100%. Like, I tell everybody, I was on 10 days starting and stuff. Like, I've had a crazy career. So for me, it was amazing. Philly fans are are great. I love Philly fans. So they were they were up. So that was a great game.
2: Would you say, talking about the fans there in Philly, you know, look at all the organizations you play with in the NBA. If you were to rank fan bases, would you have Philly number one?
1: They'd be up there for sure when I was playing. Um, Philly, OKC is great too. OKC, Mm -hmm. when I was, got the OKC, they're all about, they're all about the Thunder. It's amazing. Um, I played for some good fan bases because even the Rockets, the Rockets love, Houston loves their, their, um, Rockets. The Nuggets, when I was in the Nuggets, we had it rolling. I think, um, we lost one or two games one year when I was there at home. Mm -hmm. We were like 40 and two. Wow. And that thing was, when you came in there, you was not winning. So I played with some good fan bases. So it's it's hard to say who's number one because they were all great.
2: Well, I'm pretty sure the Sixers fans would say they they're number one. I think Philly fans would say they're number one in anything. Basketball, baseball, <laughs> football, sure. hockey. That's why like, like you got a love feeling. Yeah, it, it doesn't even matter. They, they would say hit number one, rightfully so, because they just bring that type of passion. Uh, you played with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, who I call Silky Smooth. His game is so smooth and it's so effective. Uh, when, when they were there in LA, of course you talked about your time there in La La Land as well. But what it's like to be on the other side of it now with them
1: as a coach? Um, it's good. It's actually um, it's good for me just because I know how to connect with those guys. So if I really need to tell them something, or if I want to tell them something, I can, and they know where it's coming from. It's coming from a place to just want them to be better. Just want them to be great because I think Brandon's amazing. He's he's great, and um, just being around and being his teammate now, like just us being able, me coach and him the player, just to be able to talk to him and tell him different things. It's it's great for me. What do you
2: think has been not the sole reason, but one of the reasons for the development that we're seeing from Silky Smooth and Brandon Ingram because right now I knew he had that that type of skill set when he was in a Lakers uniform. I didn't want them to trade him to tell you the truth uh, because I was a fan of him at Duke because I'm a Duke basketball fan um, and there's nothing against Florida State, but I just grew up uh, liking Grant Hill when he was in a Blue Devils uniform. So it was only right that I liked Duke basketball. But now, what we've seen from Silky Smooth and Brandon Ingram, but he can get to the rim at any given time. Uh, that, that that three ball is falling for him. That mid range jumper is falling. What's what's maybe the, one of the main reasons we're starting to see this guy just dominate week in week out, night in and night out.
1: Um, he puts in the work, um, mm-hmm. and he's only 23 years old. I Super think he, young still. Don't understand how young he is. He's only getting better, and he's only yep. going to get better. But it comes with him, his work ethic, just working so hard, and just confidence now. You know, he we knew he was good in LA, but he comes from New Orleans and they kinda just like, Here, you know, you want out, you're you're gonna be one of our guys. Like you and Z, you and Zion gotta go out here and you gotta put be able to put the ball in a hole, you gotta be an all star, which he was all star last year. Yeah. For us to be good. And I think it's just helping them go to another level. He's only gonna get better.
2: Yeah, silky smooth is what I call angle, man, because he, he, he got a smooth, it's a silky smooth game. And that sense of urgency is not really there, but he don't really need it because he's smooth enough to get to where he needs to go. Uh, speaking of Zion, I'm pretty sure just like all of us, you know, you were following him before he became a pro because he had that type of media attention. But what's something you didn't realize about him before you got up close with him as a coach?
1: Um, Just how athletic he really is. I knew he was athletic. But you know he's 6'6". Like you don't you don't think he's really he's that athletic. He's yeah. past athletic. He's he's on another level. Like his athleticism, it's not even on a chart how athletic he is. And the things he do on the basketball court, just to be as big as he is, man, he's so fast and athletic. I just sometimes I'm just looking out there like there's no way this guy just just did that. What's the most athletic thing you've seen him do so far? I think um, a couple games ago, he went up. It was, I forgot who we were playing, but the guy was seven foot. And like, he met him at the rim and like Zion hit him. And it's like, he just stayed in the air. <laughs> it's, it's unreal. Like he stayed in the air. The big guy goes down and then he laid it up. I was like, there's no way that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> every, every game he does something like he'll go baseline. It'd be a guy there. He'll double pump dunk it. Like mm-hmm. he'll, he'll wait till he'll hold it. Bring it back down. Wait till the guy goes to the ground. Then dunk it. That
2: hang time is jordan light.
1: Yeah, it's 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 amazing, man. The things he do. Whoo! It's, it's a special dude to be twenty years old.
2: No question. Yeah, got y'all. Yeah, I got y'all a superstar, Uh a, a up-and-coming superstar, to say the least. Heck, y'all got two up-and-coming superstars right now in New Orleans with Zion and Silky Smooth Brandon Ingram. There's a clip uh that has been circulating on social media with you on a fast break when you with the wolves versus the thunder. <laughs> I never seen a man grab his dribble from the three point line
1: and still lay it up <laughs> without dribbling. But was that a travel? Hey, um, hey they didn't call it a travel so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell them myself say it was a travel. <laughs> so hey Corey, but
2: how did they miss that?
1: I was just going so fast. So, <laughs> you said
2: speed <laughs> is a part of your game, right?
1: killed so you know, <laughs> they couldn't tell they couldn't even, they couldn't even see my feet they were moving so fast
2: hey that got to be one of the biggest misses and one of the best misses of any referees in the NBA cuz you, you you gather your dribble almost a foot in front of the three point line and got
1: to the rim still <laughs> hey man everybody they get on me about that i say, hey the ref then call it it was it's not a problem.
2: it's not a call <laughs> That's what we say, man. If it's no flag, it's not a penalty. I don't care what you say. It's, yeah, it's not a penalty at all. All right. Before we let you go, Corey, we want to get to the superlative part of our show. It's just a few rapid fire questions. We want to get your honest answer. Number one, best
1: pure score in NBA history. Pure score in NBA history. Ooh, pure score in NBA history. Man, it's hard to go against Kobe. You know, playing, playing against Kobe. Rest in peace. I'm going to say Kobe. What's your favorite Kobe Bryant moment playing against him? Oh, playing against him. Just I remember in the playoffs, um, I was in Denver. We were in game seven. Uh I I had a good game in game six. I think it was going into the fourth quarter and I was guarding. He was like, yeah, it's over now. What was the score at that point when he told you that? I think it was a close game. We might have been up four. They was just up four. In my mind, I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. We just (laughs) won game six. Yeah. Whatever, man. Next thing I know, I looked up. He had scored like eight straight. I couldn't do nothing <laughs> about it. I said, "Oh man." Hey, that your defense wasn't working on on, on, I on, on the beam? Nah, he not even see me. I, I, <laughs> I don't even think he see me out there. <laughs> do you I, remember what he finished with that night? I have no idea. I know they won. <laughs> yeah.
2: Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Best defensive player during your time in the NBA. Now Draymond came out. And basically said he self proclaimed the best defender ever. Do you agree with that statement first and foremost with Draymond
1: saying he's the best defender ever? Um, he's definitely one of the best defenders ever. Just the way he changed the game, You know, uh-huh. he changed the game because he he's guarding one through five, like things he's doing the court. I give him that. Like, he definitely one of the best. He changed the game just with his versatility. But for me, um, and during that, your time, who would you say the best defensive player is during your time? Um, I'm gonna go um, Ron Artest and um, Tony Allen. Those two guys,
0: oh, man. the Grandfather.
1: father, man, those, those those two tough guys, man. Yeah, Ron Artest, Ron archest Actually, he was guarding centers, <laughs> like he was guarding everybody. Also, so but Ron doesn't, you know, he has some incidents, so he don't get enough credit for how good he was defensively. And Tony Allen was a monster, man. Like the way he used to guard him all the guards back in the day when the mm-hmm. game was different. When, you, when It was a lot more ISO action, a lot more mid-post with those guys, um, with Kobe, T-Mac, and all those guys. Um, so he was, he was a great defender. And he went
2: against some names. You just said Kobe, T-Mac. You know, when T-Mac was in his prime, I think he don't get enough credit, in my opinion. He used to can go, you know, when in his prime. And now as a coach, Corey, when you watch the game, who would you consider, you know, one of the top defensive
1: players currently in the NBA right now? Right now? It's a lot of of good defenders. Um, You know, Draymond for sure is always going to be up there, what Mm he did. Um, Rudy Gobert really controls the paint. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Ben Simmons right now, the way he's playing, playing amazing.
2: No, don't, 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 don't say Ben Simmons, man. Our producer is probably falling out right now. He's a Ben Simmons fan.
1: Nah, he's, he's really guarding this shit. So <laughs> a, lot, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of guys can really guard.
2: You just made Eric's day, man. You just made his year saying Ben Simmons, best defensive player. But he, to your point, he has been playing some real good defense, uh, over the last few months to say the least. So hey, I can't knock you there. Most intense coach you played for. Most intense. Most intense.
1: Ooh that I played for? Yep. I'm going to say um Coach Donovan was the most intense in college. Like, mm-hmm. the way he was in college is, oof. But in the NBA, um George Carl was pretty intense when I yeah. played back in Denver.
2: Yeah, I, I figured you would say George Carl. Yeah. Last question for you. Best player you went up against in college? In college?
1: Yep. Some good players, man. That I had to guard, I'm going to say – um. Al Thornton, and you a Florida State guy? People don't remember Al Thornton was a monster. No question, played for the Wizards a little bit yeah, and I the Clippers. A, he was like that three four. He was a problem for me because he was a three four, so he could handle, but he was a big man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the I'm gonna give him the yeah. Let's say Al Thornton. Yeah, okay?
2: Yeah, Al could put it in there. He could put it in there. He was like you say, extremely long and athletic. You know what I mean? Play, uh, play for the, the Wizards. I think he played a little bit with the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. I know he played for the Wizards a little bit.
1: Yeah. He's first round pick. He, he can yeah. go. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you for your time. I know you're extremely busy, uh, you know, coaching with the New Orleans Pel- Pelicans, but thank you for joining us. Corey Brewing here. All things covered. Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden, man. We had a quality, quality conversation and make sure you check out if that was a travel or not. <laughs> Minnesota versus, uh, OKC, Timberwolves versus the Thunder. Make sure you let us know if that was a travel or not. But Corey, thank you for joining us, joining us, man. It was an awesome experience, man. And wish you nothing but great luck. Best of luck this year. And tell Silky Smooth, man, I'm still a fan, even though he's not in a Lakers uni- uniform. I'm still a fan.
1: I got you, D, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Be safe.
2: Thanks again to Corey Brewer and thanks again to everyone for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. In case you missed our previous episodes this week, you can go check out our conversations with draft prospect Rondell Moore, as well as a focus on HBCUs with Hall of Famer Anelius Williams and legendary Southern coach, Coach Pete Richardson. And that's not all. We still have more episodes dropping this week, where you know all things will be covered. Peace.
0: Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time.